2: listening to the Vox Media podcast network. Welcome back to The Fighter versus The Writer. I'm Damon Martin. He is UFC legend Matt Brown, freshly returned from Florida. Get some uh you got better weather in Florida than you do here in Ohio, I'm betting.
1: 80 degrees sunny beautiful cut uh, uh got off the flight 40 degrees cloudy <laughs> <laughs> a little bit windy but dude i don't i don't care about the weather shit man i get so sick of people always talking about that as like, like, bro if you don't like it like fucking just move there then like shut the fuck up
2: that's it's a like, that's a, that is a that is a big contrast though to go from florida to ohio weather it is a big contrast there
1: yeah, like it was a contrast, but I I don't like let it phase me. You know, I I get sick of that shit. The only time I do, I admittedly let it, it, it does phase me a little bit, is around like March April time, when the weather starts changing or like teasing that it's <laughs> going to change, and then it goes back to the snow. Because you know it is nice to have the warmer weather. I don't I don't doubt that, but uh, I don't uh, disagree with that or argue that. But it's like. You know, again, like if you don't like it, like fucking move, bro. Quit bitching about it, you know, like don't whine. And if you're stuck here for whatever reason, like, you know, like I have family here, right? And they're not moving. So it's like, well, that's what it is, man. You can't control it. So fuck it, bro. Deal with it.
2: Ohio toughens you up, man. I got a friend, one of my friends who lives in California. And uh, I was talking to, talking to him recently, and he said something like, he's like, yeah, I got kind of chilly out, so I had, to, like, I had to, like, put on the heat and, like, get out the coats, and I was like, what's the temperature? He's like, 68. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that's summer here in Ohio. I was like, 68? <laughs> I was like, come on now. Like, it's, you know, it's it, it, until it gets down to the 40s, we don't put coats on here in Ohio.
1: <laughs> no, I wear shorts down to, to freezing <laughs> usually. <laughs> after freezing, um, yeah, something, I'll even wear shorts at freezing sometime. I'm that guy you know everybody's like oh fucking douchebag but i not know it's comfortable bro you I was, it's not I was like remember- i'm like I, I'm, it's not like i'm like outside like <laughs> hanging out in my shorts either you know it's like you walk to your fucking car that you got warmed up
2: i remember years ago i was in columbus for i want to say it was a strike force show i think and uh i was walking down downtown by the renaissance which was always the hotel where the fighters stayed at here yep. in columbus And I was going to Tip Top Cafe, I was getting some food, and I was walking by and I saw Gilbert Melendez. And Gilbert sees me and he spots. He's like, Dane, what's going on, man? I was like, what's up, man? And he's like, dude, it's so fucking cold out here. And it was like, you know, it was like mid forties. It was chilly, but it wasn't like cold. And he's like, he had like a park on. He was all bundled up. And I was like, You California guys are not ready for this Ohio weather. I was like, I was walking like a wind, I was walking like a hoodie, and it was like forty five. He's got like <laughs> a park on, the hood's up and toboggan. Like he's like all covered up. He's like, God, it's cold out here. And I was like, dude, it's forty-five. This is nothing.
1: And that was probably during the Arnold's, which Every year that's the time that's so annoying, right? The Arnolds is the first weekend of March every year. One year it'll be snowing, freezing cold, wind blowing. Next year it's sunny. We're wearing shorts. It's beautiful.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've known that I because they used to have UFC events every March. And it was like one year it'd be like 70 degrees and gorgeous. The next year it'd be you know 20 and snowing without fail. So yeah.
1: That's the time of year that to me is annoying. Again, it's like who gives a fuck, bro? You know, pull up your britches. And deal with the shit
2: yeah no you're right you're absolutely right. like i said dude i lived in ohio pretty much my whole life so i've just learned to adapt to it so uh that's just life here in ohio man you get warm you get cold and there are definitely yeah. seasons here that's well, i for think sure. people
1: need to find things to do in the cold too right don't use it as an excuse if you if you uh, uh you know if it gets cold you know put on jacket and go for a run <laughs> right like, like what do you do in the warm that you, that you can't do in the cold right if you're active outside right now you can't just sit out on the back porch when it's freezing cold so you don't get that but if you're going to go outside you just got to do something should be a good reason to get uh get get moving when you're outside yeah no you're absolutely
2: right you're Absolutely,
1: right. a great reason to get to the gym because everybody wants to sit around and play fucking video games and yeah. and you know and get drunk and shit and go to the bar it's like we we'll go to the gym, bro. It's cold. You can't go outside. Go to the gym.
2: Gym's warm. That's always warm.
1: <laughs> yeah. The gym is warm. Hell, I go to the pool sometimes indoor. Just swimming yeah. in the wintertime.
2: Swim outdoors, man. Be a man. Jesus Christ, Matt. Why aren't you swimming outdoors in the, in the cold? Come on. I've tried it,
1: and <laughs> it's not that enjoyable. <laughs> I got to be honest. You, you know what? I feel like I wouldn't be nearly as bad if it was like a cold ocean. But when you go like to Alum Creek or like Hoover Reservoir and it's like (laughs) some brown ass water and you're swimming with carp and shit, you're like, like, all right, I'm not really that motivated to do this. I got to be honest.
2: This this isn't that much fun. This isn't that much fun. Well, anyways, yeah, you're down in Florida doing some seminars. How are the seminars?
1: It was amazing. It was, uh, we had a great weekend. Next weekend, I'll be going to uh, New Hampshire, doing a seminar up there, some, um i love doing seminars man i love meeting new people seeing other gyms how they're set up how they ran how their culture is how the people there are um and a seminar is always just a it's a great time and you get to get out there and like i said meet the new people see new cities and you're not there you know just as a tourist like like the people are always welcoming you know you're coming there to share your knowledge so that you know they're going to show you around and they want to show you how they live and um, it, it's a great time, man. I absolutely love doing seminars. Anybody, any coaches out there listening, everyone hooked me up with a seminar, big, small shit town. We can, you know, figure out a price. I just love doing it and sharing the knowledge.
2: Did you, uh, did you teach the elbow technique I saw on your Instagram with, with the kids learning how to do elbows? I was like, damn, that's an elbow technique right there. And you said, that's the proper way to do it. Did you teach us some elbows?
1: Um, I, so it, it kind of depends on like the crowd that is at the seminar, this particular seminar was a very like hobbyist gym, which is actually a lot of fun, you know, because the people are extra welcoming. Um, and it, the area that I was in was a little bit higher up area. So it was a lot more like wealthier people, you know, so these people, they, they all got really cool things going on. So it's always great talking to them. Like I met a guy down there who's a professional, I don't know, uh, uh, not not professional, but a, a scuba diving instructor and, and he does, I forget what they call it, the spear fishing, oh, yeah. uh, but does it in the ocean, right? So, um, you know, invited me out to come do that sometime. Yeah, you know, a different guy, like, owns some charter boats and stuff. He's like, "Yeah, hey, come out on the boat sometime. Um, you know, so it's really cool meeting people like that. So we didn't go over elbows, um, to get to your question. We didn't go over elbows because, you know, these were hobbyist people, right? They're basic, you know, they don't need to know elbows and they don't really – you know they they like to see me do it right but <laughs> um you know for them it's not going to help with the journey that they're on at the moment that they' that that they're uh that I'm there
2: but be honest everyone could use an elbow or two come on now be honest like that's a that's a life trait everyone should not have thrown an elbow
1: well, it is a nice thing I think it's a great <laughs> self-defense technique but if you can't you know, keep your feet under you when you're throwing a jab. Like <laughs> that's you, true. We'll save the elbow for later.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, we uh, we did see some punches and elbows, a lot of other stuff thrown this weekend. A lot of good fights this past week, and of course, Armin Sarukian, and. Shocked everybody. First round knockout, sixty four seconds over Benil Darius. I think we got every I think we got every pick wrong on the main card for that UFC <laughs> Austin card. Devison Figueroa came out and kind of shocked everybody. Put on a great performance against Rob Font. Jalen Turner knocks out Bobby Green, which by the way, let's just go ahead and talk about that one. As talk as the referee stoppage. Like I know you and I have talked about this on the show many, many times, that we would rather see a fight go a little too long then go a little too short and not give a guy a chance to fight back but what happened on Saturday night with Jalen Turner and Bobby Green was just egregious that was awful that was a horrible horrible stoppage
1: Uh, I couldn't agree more that's exactly right man it was uh it was amazing that that ref was standing there watching that happen (laughs) without stopping it that that was amazing Uh, but even though uh, I'm not nearly as mad about that stoppage as I am some of the early stoppages. <laughs> you know, he he absolutely gave him every chance, but it was also you got to just wonder what he was thinking, or because uh, it was how clear was it that he was completely out? I mean, he was out, out. Yeah, taking... I mean, he
2: gets he gets hit, he gets hit, and basically face planted, and he's laying on the ground face down, and he's just getting punched in the in the side of the head like that. I just that's just one of those like. I, I like him falling face first to the canvas the way he did. You could probably just wave it off right then and there. Like oh, he just Absolutely. absolutely. You know, and well, then just was, let him get taken punches. Hatley? Was that the Hatley, Yeah. Yeah, Carry Hatley. I'm going to
1: request Carry Hatley in my fight so cuz I'd rather have that as a fighter. I would rather have that than the early stoppage. You know, like like let the dude half kill me. Like take a couple years off my life. I don't want this fucking fight stop. Uh but I agree it was egregious. It, it was absolutely fucking ridiculous i mean you were just like like dude like what are you thinking like we're we're literally watching saying, like what are you doing bro <laughs> the only worst stoppage was evil Veen when I fought Pete Cell.
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember. always remember that fight. I'll never forget the moment you knocked him down and you literally looked at Eve Levine and you're like, are you going to stop this fucking fight? Yeah, and he's just like, he's just, like he just kind of stood yeah. there. He just stood there and you're like, all right. And you just had to keep punching on
1: poor Pete Cell. And you know why I kept looking at him too? I did it a couple of times. It was because I kept having flashbacks of Pete Cell fighting Scott Smith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I do not want this fucking happen to me, bro. <laughs> like, come on, just like he's out, like, yeah, it, you know it was a little different. Like it, you know it, that wasn't went a body shot. Like it was head concussion. But it was like I'm flat. I just remember during the fight, I was consciously thinking about being another Scott Smith. I was like, "Fuck, I don't want this to happen."
2: It's so wild though, because listen, I enter Like there are times when it's a thin line when we're like, you know, like we talked about with Yuri and uh, and Alex Pereira. Like I, we both agreed it was early, but it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like the worst stoppage in history. It was just early it was you could have let it go for five six more seconds probably would have ended up with the same result we would have liked to have seen that extra five or six seconds this one was so bad because bobby green literally gets clipped face first down on the canvas and then Jalen has to jump on him and he's just wailing on him and he's not stopping it's not like he took one or two shots Jalen wailed on him for like 10 seconds before he finally stopped at like That was one of those stoppages where, like, everybody agrees. Like, there was no question. There was no (laughs) debate. It was just a horrible stop. I'm just like, what are you looking at? Like, I'm with you in terms of I'd rather have it stopped a couple seconds late than early to give that guy the chance to come back. But when a dude gets punched and face plants on the canvas, chances are he's not coming back. And then just to let him wail on him for 15 more seconds or whatever it was is just insane.
1: Yeah, and that that wasn't a couple seconds late. (laughs) yeah. Like that was way, way late. Right, he took a lot of shots, and the referee's looking at him, and and I, you know, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking, but you know, he's just watching this happen from, you know, uh, two feet away. So yeah, it's just absolutely ridiculous, and that ref needs to be fired. I could, you know, I, I think that's a. The, the, it's a, the issue we kind of go back to all the time. We, Me and you talk about it many times. Like, there's just no repercussions. Like I, from what I was reading on Twitter, like Carrie Halley's done this before. Um, and as the commission, you know, me and you, well, at least me and probably you, like we're always going to lobby against the early stoppage. I'd rather be late than early. Uh, but the commission, their job is to protect the fighters. So yeah. there needs to be consequences yeah, Either I said whether that it's early, whether it's early or late, but I think especially being that you are a commission there to protect the fighters late. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there needs to be consequences.
2: Absolutely. I said that on Twitter last night. I said, you, there's got to be some like some sort of punishment for that. Like, you cannot let this guy. I mean, you know, he, he ate what 20 extra punches that he didn't need to eat in that moment. Like, this wasn't this wasn't. He got knocked down, and he took, like, two extra hammer fists. He, you know, even, like, this isn't—I mean, I know it sounds terrible to say. It's like, this isn't even Dan Henderson knocking out Bisping and landing that one that was big the bomb. That thing
1: came on mind for me.
2: <laughs> but, like, this is literally the guys knocked out on the—face first on the canvas, and you're just wailing on him. Like, that's just—there's mm. no question. Like, this isn't one where there's a debate where we can say, well— you know, he, you know, he gave him every chance. Bobby wasn't moving; like he wasn't, he wasn't rolling. He wasn't doing anything to escape. He's just getting punched in the head, and you're just mm-hmm. like, mm, mm, uh, okay, finally. And I'm just, it's just, and and you're right; like this is the problem: is that Kerry Hatley is going to go about his day, and he'll get another assignment when the UFC goes back to Texas or whatever happens, and we kind of move on. Like it took. It took Dana White complaining nonstop for like two years straight to finally get Mario Yamasaki to not (laughs) referee UFC fights because he hated that referee so much. And finally, commissions are just like, it's not worth it. And so we just stopped assigning him. Now, Mario has come back. He was refereeing the fights in the PFL uh, a couple weeks ago. He was out there doing that. Him and his brother, I think, are both referees in, in that D.C. area. But, yeah, like... I, I'm not like I don't know that Kerry Hatley is the worst referee in the world, but that stoppage alone should cost him a job or at least cost him from high profile situations like this. Like you cannot put him back in there w- with guys at this level. That was a co-main event like that's a huge fight. And you're just letting Bobby Green take unnecessary damage. And again, I'm with you. Okay, the knockdown, one more punch, hammer fist. Okay, like what happened with Armin Sarukian? He knocked down Benil. It was pretty clearly done, but he jumped on, had a couple more hammer fists. Mark Smith jumps in and stops the fight. Did Benil take maybe a punch or two more than he needed to in that moment? Yeah, but it was all rapid fire. You know, Benil fell. Armin, that's instinctually you're supposed to jump on and and keep going. He hit him a couple more punches. Mark Smith rushes in and stopped it. It was just a timing thing, you know what I mean? But it was over. Benil took a couple of, and Benil was down for a while. If you watch that, like he was down in the canvas yeah. for quite a while, but thankfully got up. He's okay. But I mean, you're talking about Bobby green, just like basically unconscious eating 20 punches to the sides of his head when he's already been concussed, basically when he's already been knocked out.
1: Yeah, that's it. And I always give him the benefit of the doubt, even on the early stoppages that I hate that. I, And the reason that I lobby that they, should be a little bit um, I'd rather than see him a little bit ladies, because I do give him the benefit of the doubt that this is a split second decision of a person's career that you are controlling here to so like, if you go a little bit early, like as mad as I am and as disgusted as I am. And I do understand the high pressure situation that you're in as a referee in that moment. In this particular situation, it's the same, right? It's a high pressure situation. But he had a long time to think about it too. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't like like it was a split second, like like, like Dan Henderson, Michael Bisping. Like the referee had a a, a moment where maybe he could have jumped in, but you know, you never know what's gonna happen. So so Dan Henderson ends up getting off one big shot. This guy had like 15 seconds to sit there and think about it.
2: Yeah, well, it's also like, it's like watching when you when Jorge Masvidal did the flying knee to Ben Askren and he landed like the two extra punches. Yeah. That's just rapid fire, boom, boom, boom. Like it's just the referee stopped it as quickly as he could, but he hits him with the knee. He Jorge immediately goes over, bam, bam, and the referee stops it. You know, what I mean, that's not. You know, we can always sit here and say the you know fighters can stop themselves, and we have seen that happen before. But we've also seen the reverse when you don't do that. And the guy comes back on you. So your job, and that's what Jalen Turner said after the fight, my job is to go until the referee pulls me off. Jalen Turner did nothing wrong. That's his job to keep going until the referee stops him. And this isn't like two seconds. This is like, it was like 14 seconds. Like, not kidding, I count. It was like 14 seconds of Bobby Green just eating punches to the back of the side of his head. And the referee just like, mm, I don't know yeah, what's going on here. And yeah, they finally long stop. That's a
1: time to think about it, you know, so. <laughs> Uh, that's where I have to remove that benefit of the doubt of it being a high pressure, uh, split second decision.
2: Who do you think? I'm curious. Like you, you, again, like every referee is capable of making a mistake. I mean, even the best referees are capable of making a mistake. But who do you think is the best referee right now? Like I, I think Mark Goddard's incredible. I think he he's by and large like one of the top referees. I still think he. I think he does overall the best job. But I'm kind of curious as a fighter, like who do you like seeing in there as the third man in the in the cage.
1: Um, for my own fights, I've always liked Dan Murgulata actually. And I know he's made some mistakes. Um, I know that he's uh, he's taken some heat at different times for different mistakes. But for my fights, um, he's always given me a good chance, and uh, it's always been a good. But to be honest, uh, also, I, I haven't had to deal with refs very much. Uh, I don't know why. Just my fights have always been pretty clean. Uh, most of the time, I don't even remember who the ref was. Um, I don't really talk to them much when they come back and give me the a little rundown of what they're going to do. I don't really ask questions. I'm just like, it is what it is. Um, th- there's only been uh, two times where I was stopped, right? I was knocked out once by Cowboy and stopped two other times in all of my fights. Um, and both times I thought they were early. I don't, but I don't remember even remember who the refs were, you know, I didn't care, you know? So uh, I, I understand that even the best ref in the world can make a mistake. So it's like, you know, again, I understand it's a it's a high pressure split second decision. So I understand and uh, don't, you know, I'm kind of like Yuri about it. You know, it's like you, know, you just got to go on with the Warriors code, man. You know, if if um, if you don't like the situation that the ref uh, imposed on that, then you should have changed the situation. Shouldn't have been there to start with and put him in that situation.
2: Yeah, and I know Dana said afterwards he he felt bad about it. Like he wasn't trying to stand by his decision. He said he felt bad that it went on as long as it. And again, that's great. You know, just there's still got to be repercussions for that because there's a, if a fighter, if a referee steps in between you to stop a fight and you swing again and hit the guy after the referee tries to stop it, you would face a fine. The the commission would 100% suspend you find you something if you swung after a referee got between you you just kept swinging and it didn't stop or you pushed the referee and swung again or whatever you would absolutely get fined or suspended for that um I'm not saying Kerry hatley should never referee again I'm just saying that he should absolutely face some sort of um repercussion There'll for that
1: consequence. Whether, yeah there has to yeah, be a consequence and I don't actually know how the commission's do it so I, c- I can only be so critical of them because I don't know if they even have processes for that I don't know um, what kind of analytics maybe they run, you know, like how many, how many, um, uh, fights did this guy ref and how many, you know, had questionable errors in it or, you know what I mean? I always yeah. wonder if they do run any sort of analytics like that. I have seen some, uh, I remember I looked into it at one point and I had seen, uh, some statistics on, uh, I think it was an athletic commission website or maybe someone on Twitter or something ran the numbers or something, but there was like some numbers available. So I wonder if they take that into, um, into consideration and no, oh, excuse me. <laughs> Just burp. And, and if they use that, you know, when they, if I've never heard of a, of a referee getting any repercussion or consequence for anything, which is what I think uh, all of us would like to see. But it, if they do, I wonder if they would take those analytics. Like, if you do a hundred fights, if Kerry Hatley had a hundred, you know, two hundred, three hundred perfect fights with no real questionable decisions, and then he makes this one mistake with uh, Jalen Turner and Bobby Green, it's like, you know, does he really deserve a repercussion? Right? Like, statistically, he's a very good ref, um, but if this is a common thing, it's like, okay, at what point do we start making repercussions?
2: Yeah, and like I said, it's it is. Listen, we all agree it's a very difficult job. You know, it's not easy. Just like judging, I understand it's not easy when you got close rounds and things like that. But there are certain situations where you have to be called out like that. Like we talked about the judges before, and we said we have to say their names so we understand this. This just isn't blind judging. Like this is this person has made this call to get the wrong call in a fight. Kerry yeah. Hatley is the guy's name. He needs to be called out for this. And again, I don't. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, or you know. I'm, and I'm not saying you should never referee again. But that was like that was just. I know you joke like, give me Kerry Hatley in my next fight. But like that's the reality. Like, I, listen, it, it, there's a fine line. But that was beyond the fine line. Like that wasn't even like the fine line of like, well, he let it go a couple seconds too long. No, that was like 14 seconds of punches when Bobby Green's unconscious. That's a different story. You know, that's not. Yeah, you know, that's not your fight, the one you had with uh what was that kid's name from Florida that um Oh, the young kid you fought and it was an early stoppage. Um Why am I not thinking the kid's name? Young kid. Uh Trinza- Yeah, 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 that yeah, 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 him. When you fought him, that was an early stoppage. You know what I mean? But you yeah. weren't face down on the canvas eating punches either. You know what I mean? Like that was, you know, so like I said, there's there's air on the side of caution. And then there's the reverse, which is what Gary Hatley did, where he's like, well, let me just make sure this guy's really knocked the fuck out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like I said, I, I mean, you know, these guys, they ref hundreds of fights, uh, you know, at least in Ohio, you know, like you're going to have, you're going to see the same guys on these regional shows all the time. So they're getting practice all the time. So you just wonder, you know, how many mistakes are they making? And if, the, you know, if the commission has any sort of protocol for, okay, if you, you know, if you have like five, 10, whatever questionable fights, like we're going to start doing something about it.
2: Yeah. I remember having back before we started doing the show regular, um, I had Frank Trigon, uh, who is now a referee and, and judge yeah. uh, doing the sport. And we had a conversation because we were talking about. Him and like Chris Lieben have have now gone on to become referees and judges in California, and we were kind of having the conversation about why more fighters don't do that because the conversation is always we wish we could get more fighter people, at least with martial arts experience, involved on that side of the business, whether it's judging or refereeing. And he told me, he's like, one of the reasons why a lot of guys don't do it in California is because Andy Foster, the executive director out there, who I think is the gold standard of commissions, he makes you go through – rigorous testing like you have to go you have to referee like two you have to at the lower level amateur level and then you have to referee like 205 some ridiculous number and you have to judge like 300 rounds before he'll even consider you for like bigger shows like not even talk UFC like just the next level up like LFA or whatever and then Once you get all this experience, then he'll start considering you for UFC cards or, or, you know, uh, PFL belts or whatever it is. And he's like, I think that's the reason why a lot of guys don't do it, because you have to put in a lot of work to pass, like, Andy Foster's eye test that you're ready and I think that's brilliant I I I I got a funny
1: feeling Texas doesn't do that (laughs) I
2: I don't think Texas does that at all Uh, yeah I think you're absolutely right Texas commission is not one of my favorite commissions so um, yeah it's just weird like I said I I would love to see that happen as well but what Trig said makes sense and and, uh, I think more people should follow Andy Foster's lead
1: yeah maybe, um, maybe that's something I might be interested in
0: one day And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.
2: There you go. There you go. Uh, also, we mentioned, of course, Armin Sarukin got the big knockout of Benil Dariusman. What a performance. What a statement to go out there and knock out a guy like that in 64 seconds. Looked like it was turned into a fun fight. Benil always hits hard. it's a fun guy to watch. But, man, Armand hit him with that right hand off the knee and just absolutely obliterated him. Man, what a performance.
1: Yeah, and you know what? That knee didn't even land. It, it just uh, got Benil to lift his head back up. You know, <laughs> If I remember right, I think Benil got hit with a very similar knee. Maybe it was Charles Oliveira. Uh, but somebody, he had been hit with that before. I could I still couldn't remember who. I was traveling all day today, so I didn't get to look it up or anything. But he, he has been hit with that before. So I think Armin had probably game planned for that and was expecting Benil to duck his head like that through the knee, perfect time, um, and followed it up with that right hand. So it looked to me like it was a, a strategic game plan thing that they had probably practiced throughout camp
2: yeah particularly
1: particularly knowing that he threw it uh so early in the fight because usually one thing i've noticed uh with with a lot of fighters is like you know you have this whole game plan you have this whole strategy you practice all these things and early in the fight they use all those things and then as the fight evolves they kind of start adjusting you know based off of what's actually going on versus what they expected to go on and this one seemed like it was just a everything. All the puzzle pieces just fell right into place, and I think he had game plan for it and hit it spot on, perfect.
2: Yeah, it was crazy when you watched the replay. He he, the knee slid by. Like Benil avoided it, but when he moved his head back, he threw that right hand. And talk about power off one leg because he still had his knee in the air when he threw that right yeah. hand and hit him and, and knocked him out. Man, what an impressive performance! And I think we've all. I think we've all raved about Armin Sarukin at one point or another to say this guy's going to be a future contender. When you can come in on day one on short notice and give Islam Makachev a three-round fight and it was not like a one-sided beatdown, like he gave him a good fight, even in his first UFC fight, that's super impressive. Um, And now, like, we're talking about him in the same conversation. Like, I think, you know, like, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think Justin Gaethje should get the next title shot. I I believe him beating Fazeev and him beating Dustin Poirier has earned him that shot. And while I have absolutely nothing against Charles Oliveira, I think the one win over Benil after just getting pretty much manhandled by Islam, I think you should get one more win. I think Armin and Oliveira would be the fight to make, man. I would love to see that one. And then the winner of that gets the winner of Gaethje and Islam. I think that's a perfect transition to move into that. Or, I mean, because if I'm Gaethje – like, Gaethje's been promised a title shot. Why would you—like, you just took out a Fazeev, who is a young gun, and then you take out Dustin Poirier. He's clearly earned a title shot, right? But you could question Oliveira a little bit. He got beat, got pretty much manhandled by by Makachev, and then he beat Benil. Super impressive win. But I'd like to see him get one more, just like Gaethje had to get one more. Gaethje had to be two top you know, two top guys to get back there. I think that should be Oliveira's path as well, and I think Oliveira and Armin makes a lot of sense.
1: That does make a lot of sense. I hadn't actually thought about that. I think that's a great matchup too. Um, you know, how do you see that fight going? It's a question because boy, I I could see that going a lot of different ways. Straight off the top of my head, that is uh, that that is a really really hard fight to predict at all. And yeah, that that, that I, I can't I can't even come up with a any ideas at all how that fight turns out.
2: That's what I love about it, though, right? Like, that's what's great about a fight like that. Like, I couldn't begin to tell you who would win. Like, Oliveira is a monster. On his best day, he could beat anybody. But Armin has looked incredible. And Armin is, like, 27, young gun, you know what I mean? Like, and that performance against Benil, I mean, he dusted Benil quicker than Oliveira did. I think that would yeah, be a and, perfect and number one seems, contender it fight. It seems like
1: now. Armin, is, he's firing on all eight cylinders right now. Everything, his m- momentum's on his side. Everything is going his way. Whereas Charles, you know, it it seems like his cylinders misfire every now and then. I've always felt that way about him. I know he had a long streak there for a while. Um, But even then, like his performances kind of go up and down a little bit. You know what I mean? Like he kind of makes like these huge errors at times. Um, Seems like maybe mentally he's not all the way there at times. Uh, But when he's all the way there, everything's there and he's firing on all eight cylinders. Uh, I think he's easily one of the top five pound-for-pound pound best in the world. Um, 100% he's agree. Not, he's just not consistently doing that.
2: Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, when he's on, man, like I said, I learned to stop betting against him. I kept picking against him. I was like, I picked, <laughs> I picked Poirier to beat him, big Gaethje to beat him, and he beats both of them, so – Charles Oliveira is a monster, but I think Oliveira Armin would answer that question. Like, if he can beat Armin Sarukian, no doubt he gets the title shot. Move on. And, because I know I talked to Benil about this before the fight, you know, he, he kind of leaned towards Justin as well. Not anything against Oliveira, but he said, you know, Islam hasn't fought him before. It's something new. And this is the new Justin Gaethje, a guy who's kind of adjusted his game plan, where he's not just going out there swinging for the fences with every opponent he faces. He's actually going in there with a bit of a game plan and smarter strategy and, you know, fighting smart and, and and, uh, and I think that would be an interesting matchup with him and Islam. I'm not saying he beat Islam, but I think it would be a fun fight. And I think Justin knows. I mean, Justin's acknowledged, like, he's coming towards the end of his career. He's only going to get so many title shots. This might be his last one. So let's get it done. Let's make it while they're still in their prime. And then, you know, Oliveira can fight Armin in a real number one contenders fight and guarantee you beat Armin Sarukian and Benil back-to-back. Back, you deserve your title shot. If Armin could knock out or beat Oliveira after beating Benil the way he did, dude, give that guy a title shot.
1: I agree, and I think that's pretty easy matchmaking, honestly. Like, all those pieces fit perfectly together. Um, Justin Gagey versus Islam is an amazing fight. Uh, you know, we've seen what happened with Khabib, and it's almost uh, – I mean, Khabib took him down so easily and submitted him so easily. It was it was almost odd. You know, like, like it was like Gagey didn't train any wrestling at all. So you got to think he's going to come in better prepared. He's more of a tactician now, like you said. Um, he's going to come in better prepared for Islam. And I think he could surprise Islam.
2: Yeah, I think it'd be a really fun fight. I'd like to see that one. Again, it's nothing against Charles. I just think that, you know, when you get handled that, I won't say easily. Easily is wrong. Right. When you get handled that one sided in a fight, to me, you got to do a little bit more to get back there and earn it. You know what I mean? One fight, it should be two at least two fights. And I think beating Armin, he beats Armin Saruki, so and give him the title shot. I got no problem with that. But for right now, I'd say let's let's see Gaethje and Islam, and let's put Armin again the, in there against Oliveira. And how's Ol- I mean, Ar- Armin Oliveira is a fucking amazing fight. Like that is going to be a war.
1: Yeah, and I say put them both on the same card too. Yeah, you know, dude, love it. I love it. A- that's a great co-main main right there. <laughs> that's a, I love That's it. an awesome fight. That's an awesome night of fights. And it uh, sets it up for a big card in the future for the winner of those two fights. Um, and yeah, that, that's an exciting division right now, man. Mm-hmm. Th- there's a lot of studs in that division and a lot of guys that I think could uh, really shine through at any any point in time. Because we were kind of getting used to seeing all the same guys, right? Gagey and Poirier. And, you know, but guys like Armin coming up now. Yeah, you know, this really ignites the division, in my opinion.
2: Absolutely, absolutely agree. Uh, we also saw Devis and make a great debut of band weight. You and I did not see that coming. We thought Rob Font striking his jab would just be a little bit too much. But boy, Devison made a great adjustment. He looked good in there. 30 27s across the board. He out he outstruck Rob Font, which is not easy to do. I was a little concerned about how the size would be different. I mean, you know, Devison was a big flyweight, but there's still a big jump to go up and fight big bantamweights, and we'll see how he does when he gets to like the Corey Sandhagens of the world, who are really big you know, bantamweights. But super impressive, man. I was I was blown away by how Figueroa approached that fight. He started a little slow, and once he started going, man, he looked great.
1: I agree, and he took away all of uh, Rob's best weapons. I mean, I think we all of us had probably me and you talked about it, we agreed, like Rob's jab is probably gonna be too much. Like he's got a, a phenomenal jab. He lands it well. He sets things up with it well. And he'll probably just jab all night, uh, especially being the bigger, taller man. But you know what? Davison didn't look undersized. He was certainly shorter, but that you know you can be shorter and not undersized. Um he was certainly shorter than him, but he didn't look undersized. It looked like his power carried over for the most part maybe not quite as much power uh coming up in weight but it seemed like he you know he stung Rob when he hit him and his strength was there you know he was able to take Rob down which was uh very very easily wasn't able to hold him down Rob was able to get up a few uh uh pretty co- quickly but davison i i thought uh the other part that that kind of took me back a little bit watching him was that. Uh, Strategic wise, being the shorter man, knowing you're going against a guy with a good jab, his feet handled that really well. His feet were very quick. He maintained. He he controlled the distance very very well. And I didn't see those qualities when he fought Brandon Moreno. Right. He he went in he went in brawled a lot with Brandon Moreno, and I thought, dude, that's that's just not going to work well against Rob Font. But he made it work. He took away his best weapon, the jab and went in there and actually technically outstruck him very well took him down when he wanted to beautiful performance by davison
2: and also show great conditioning, right? Because that had kind of been yeah. something to come back to bite him when he had bad weight cuts, which we kind of come to expect when you have a bad weight cut, that can come oh, back to bite yeah. you. He had great conditioning. It looked strong all three rounds. Like He was still putting he was putting it on Rob hard. Like There were a couple of moments where I thought, man, if he could put together the right combination, or he might finish this fight. Because as you said, he stung him a couple of times, and Rob is definitely hurt. Um, Rob's just an incredibly tough dude, so it's hard to put him away. But, yeah, really good transition. And I said, I know a lot of people were throwing out ideas afterwards, saying, well, let's see Devison maybe peter Yan. i said listen i know aljermaine sterling has talked about going up to fly a featherweight he's talking about this max holloway fight i think devison and Algermain would be a really fun fight like two ex champs ex flyweight champ ex bantamweight champ i think that'd be a really fun one
1: i think that'd be a very interesting fight for sure right because <laughs> uh, i'm not sure how uh davison would because have... he always davison's always surprised me you know um the, the way he fought moreno what three times right uh Four times, four times. Yeah, you know, it, it, he always surprises me. Um, how how he would it, when he fought Rob Font last weekend surprised the shit out of me. Probably surprised most people. It, again, mainly how he handled his jab and how he was tactical and strategic about it. You know, he's not like that technical looking guy, right? Like like if you watch like a Peter Yaw, like he looks very technical, stays in really good position all the time. Uh, Davidson doesn't look like he has those qualities but he's able to work with what he's got and make it work so the way he made it work would be interesting because a lot of that stuff doesn't carry over as much in grappling right you can't just kind of like scramble your way out of things against a guy like Aljamain you can't kind of Um, you know, rely on your athleticism and speed and things like that, especially against a grappler like Aljamain. So I'd be very curious in that fight, and I'd love to watch it and see how he kind of strategizes and how that fight would play out.
2: I think it'd be fun too because Ultimate, if he does stick around a bantamweight, I and mean, he's beaten so many of the guys already, it's like that would be a fun different fight to give him that yeah. would still mean something. I mean, Devison is still a former flyweight champion, like it would still be cool to see that. Just like I would have loved to have seen back in the day when Demetrius was around, like I would have loved to have seen Demetrius go up and fight some of those bantamweights and things like that. And I think the same kind of thing here, and uh, obviously Devison made a great transition, and and kudos to him for that. Also, another one. That I'm not I was not surprised by the performance but I was a little surprised by how one-sided it was with Sean Brady taking out Calvin Galem the way he did I mean that was as one-sided a fight as you could see just took him down at will mauled him on the ground had him in bad positions throughout the fight and then eventually get to Kimura. which how many times have we had When's the last time we saw Kimura finish a fight in the UFC
1: oh, or or Calvin Gaslem has he ever been submitted before?
2: He did get to me. He got that heel hook from Jack romanson that one time at middleweight. He yeah, did get that, okay. but that was a super, like, that was a rapid fire, like, boom, 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 he got caught and got tapped. But, no, not often. And, boy, I tell you what, Sean Brady. Or I, or even even how often have we ever even seen
1: Calvin Gaston taken down that easily and controlled on the ground like that?
2: Not often, if ever. I can't remember ever really getting taken down like that.
1: Yeah, and controlled like that. Like, he couldn't get back up. I mean, I remember seeing him getting taken down before but he'd be able to pop right back up um uh, and what when I when I watched the first round I thought man you know is, is that Kelvin just you know is, is he just you know the weight cut maybe he got to him maybe uh, he's, he's gassed out a little bit but every time he came uh uh the, the all three rounds when he started off he looked fresh he, he looked did. good looked like his cardio was holding up look like you know he started popping his punches he just wasn't able to land him Sean Brady just imposed his will did exactly what he wanted to him and and so with that said i had to give credit to sean brady that's not one of the because i i get really really tired of hearing people do that where where they give the the excuse for the guy that lost versus giving credit to the guy that won
2: yeah and also and that exactly to your point i tweeted on saturday night i said I hated after he lost to Bilal Muhammad, everyone said, oh, Sean Brady wasn't the real deal. He just got exposed. How about Bilal Muhammad is a freaking good fighter? How about you give credit <laughs> to that guy? The most, In my opinion, the most underrated fighter in MMA today is Bilal Muhammad. People do not want to give this guy credit for how good he is. When he beat Gilbert Burns, oh, well, Gilbert had a shoulder injury and he couldn't really fight. He won, and he won in dominant fashion on a week and a half's notice against one of the best welterweights in the world in Gilbert Burns, who just fought before that. Gilbert was certainly in a better position to fight that fight than Bilal was, and Bilal won. He beat Sean Brady. He knocked out Sean Brady. Sean Brady couldn't get him down. Bilal shrugged off his takedowns and knocked him out on the feet in the second round. Instead of tearing down Sean Brady, let's give credit where credit's due. Sean Brady is a really good fighter. Guess what? Bilal Muhammad is a really freaking good fighter too.
1: That's exactly right. And and Bilal has been, um, it just goes to show how good Bilal is. What Sean Brady just did to Kelvin Gastelum. I mean, he dominated him in every aspect from beginning to end. And, and then ended with a submission. I mean, that's very, very impressive. And, you know, it goes to speak, you know, all the rumors that you hear about Sean Brady being so strong. And I think we just seen that that's a, a factual statement now.
2: Yeah, and I, I believe, listen, in my, in my in my heart of hearts, I believe Bilal should be the guy fighting for the title next weekend or in yeah. two weeks against Leon Edwards. No, you know, say what you will about Colby Covington. It's not like a knock on him, but Bilal's earned it, man. It's a joke he's not fighting for that title in two weeks. It really is. With what he's done and the run he's on right now, it's it's just so stupid that he's not fighting for that title right now.
1: Yeah, and everybody agrees with you. There's a, <laughs> I don't think there's – you know, there's no one that, that really is going to disagree that or – we all know why Colby's getting the shot and we understand and we're all cool with it. Right. We're like, dude, like, like it's going to be fun. And and Colby does have a good shot of winning this fight. I mean, he's not, you know, some slouch off the street, like, you know, he did, de- whether he deserves it or not is, uh, you know, again, we could throw that word out of the vocabulary, like we always talk about in terms of the UFC, but Look like he could go in there and absolutely win this fight, and there's no question about it. But again, if we put deserve back in the vocabulary, it's all Blah Muhammad, no question.
2: Yeah, and there's what like I said, I yeah we'll we'll break down Leon and Colby next week, and we'll kind of give our picks and everything. But I certainly don't think that's a fight Colby can't win. I think he absolutely can win that fight. I just think on merits you know, below on like a nine fight beat unbeaten streak, you know, that's, and, and Colby on a one fight win streak against a guy who is now retired. No longer in the UFC doesn't really measure up, but Hey, that's the sport. I get it. We, again, like you said, we all know why Colby Colby's not getting this shot because he's on a 10 fight win streak. And he's a, truly the number one. he's getting it because he's the biggest name in the division. Not you know the champion or maybe Kamar Usman and so he's getting, I get it like I again I've given I've given up that fight like I'm not fighting it any longer I just say that in the in the in a right world, Bilal Muhammad would be fighting for that title next weekend not. Colby Covington but again we all understand that's why we always joke on this show and we say it truthfully Conor McGregor is always one win away from a title shot because he's Conor McGregor he's like you could you can sit here and bitch and moan and complain about it all you want he's Conor McGregor if he goes out and dusts Michael Chandler when they finally do fight next year and he says I want Islam Makhachev who's gonna say that can't happen because it's Conor McGregor and Islam would be a massive massive fight with the rivalry with Khabib and all the other stuff going on not saying it would be a good fight not even even say it'd be a competitive fight i'm saying that that's just the lay of the land that's the world we live in like it or not and we've just kind of come to accept it is that a if they fight or when they fight i think it's a when they fight i think they'll fight next year i think ufc 300 300's kind of i think everyone's kind of like got their eyes on that when it's going to happen but i think it's when it's going to happen it's not if it's when I, mean, if, okay, if, so if,
1: I follow a lot of these instagram accounts or i don't know they show up on my feed or some shit where sometimes I never know if they're real or not. Today, I seen one come up. It says, Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate, UFC 300. Truth or fiction?
2: Oh, 100% fiction. 100% fiction. Ronda Rousey is not fighting. No 100%. Chance. No, chance. no chance. Zero Ron chance.
1: Zero chance. not coming back, guaranteed. She is,
2: never, she is never coming back to fight again. She's not even, She's not even really doing pro wrestling right now anymore. She's just raising her...
1: Well, see, I wondered if she wasn't doing so much pro wrestling because maybe she's getting ready to get back and Dana just said the other day he's got a super fight in the works
2: i don't know so what that was or is that
1: going to be mvp and Calvin holland because i don't <laughs> i couldn't imagine Dana calling that a super fight
2: no i think he's got so i don't know what else he's got in mind with the whole super fight idea but i don't
1: ideas diaz that's the other rumor <laughs> that people are spitting out there
2: i don't know i don't know maybe it's nate diaz coming back to the ufc maybe that's a super fight somewhere there but it's not it's not i highly doubt i would say it's highly 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 unlikely it's ronda rousey i think she's done fighting i don't think she wants to come back to fight why would she like why would you you know what i mean like what what does she have to gain at this point the the sport is kind of she's beyond the sport and uh no, I don't. And, and she's beaten Misha, what, three times? Like, what's like, and she, it would be like, it'd be like coming back and then she loses. And like, it's like when, it's like when Chuck Liddell got knocked out by Tito Ortiz. Do we really feel like that was a legitimate knockout? Like, yeah, he did lose, but was that the same Chuck Liddell who fought 10 years ago and was one of the best fighters in the world? Probably not. Is Ronda Rousey in 2023 or 2024 the same Ronda Rousey who was wrecking people back in 2016? I don't think so.
1: All right, all right. So, so do you have any predictions, guesses, or anything of the sort for this so-called super fight that's <sighs> going to be coming up?
2: My only guess—I I don't know who—I don't know who it would be necessarily, but I mean. When you say super fight, it's got to mean something, right? Like it can't just right. be like two guys from different weight classes. That's not a, that's not a super fight. So who's out there that doesn't have a fight booked right now? Well, Connor is one. That's, that's a, a guy who could potentially be out there. Well, Israel Ades- doesn't
1: involve Connor, right?
2: Yeah. So Adesanya would be another one. Cause he doesn't have a fight booked right now. And he's kind of like a tweener. He's kind of like, you know, not really saying what he's doing. He's out there and he's a star. I think that's a possibility. We know it's not John Jones because he's fighting in July and it's going to be Stipe most likely, or it's going to be July most likely against Stipe, so that's out of the works. Um, I mean, who else is out there that's really a big enough name to withdraw like that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, who's who's really out there that would that would do that? I mean, there's not a lot of options in all, in all, like Hamzat and Adesanya? Maybe that's like the quote-unquote super fight? I don't know. Like, I don't really know what he's talking about or who he'd be talking about regarding that.
1: Yeah, I just found it interesting because uh, I, I, I swear it wasn't an hour after I seen that quote from Dana, all this bullshit's popping up on my feed, and I'm like, what's real and what's not? Because <laughs> I, I can't figure it out. I was seeing GSP Diaz and then seeing Rhonda, Misha Tate, and you know all this all this shit, and I was like, damn, I don't I don't know what's real now.
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't think that one's real. I think Misha Holly Holm is the fight to make. Misha looked good on Saturday night. She got a big win, dominant win over Julia Avila. Run that one back. Holly's coming off a tough loss to Myra Bueno Silva. Uh, That first fight was great. I was at it. It was back and forth, five rounds. Then Misha ends up getting the choke and and winning the title. I think now's the time to run it back. Misha looked great on Saturday night. She dominated Julia Avila and then choked her out, or technically neck-cranked her out. And then... uh, and then holly's coming off a tough loss to myra bueno silva i think right now is the time to run back two big names both you know kind of in the division let's just run that back
1: okay okay i like that i like that yeah that, that's a good fight um how old is holly by the way uh, 41 i think 41 i was gonna say she's got to be at uh close to the end
2: huh yeah yeah like 41 so yeah i mean it just i, I mean you could, I mean, Misha, I know Misha's good friends with Juliana Pena. You could run that one because they would be, I think that'd be interesting. And I think, you know, Juliana doesn't have a single win over anybody on the current UFC roster. So it'd be nice to see her beat somebody uh, before getting a title shot because she missed out on this one coming up because it's going to be, you know, Myra Bueno Silva and Raquel Pennington. I would like to see Juliana Pena get one win over somebody on the current UFC roster, but I don't know if she'd fight Misha because they are good friends and they train together forever, but they don't train together anymore, so, you know, maybe they run it. Maybe Juliana fights Misha.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of interesting matchups out there.
2: What do you think Sean Brady after his win? He called out Ian Gary, who is now apparently the new Michael Bisping, the most called-out fighter in UFC history, all of a sudden where everyone wants a piece of Ian Machado Gary.
1: Yeah, I mean, what do you say about Ian Gary, man? Like, what a interesting character, huh? An interesting life he lives, and, you know... Uh, they say all PR is good PR though. So this guy, he's getting all the PR right now and you know, we're talking about him right now. So, you know, much respect to him and he's a world-class talent. Like I, you know, I, I'm not sure that he's the guy to be calling out. <laughs> you know cause now, now matchup wise, I came like in Sean Brady. Obviously I think uh, Sean Brady is probably one of the worser matchups for him. Um, but we don't. I don't know what his gra- maybe you might have seen him. Uh, I haven't seen really what his grappling game is like, or you know, really not a his lot take down defense.
2: Yeah, not a lot. I mean, that would that would certainly test him because you know Sean Brady would absolutely try to see what kind of wrestling and grappling defense he has, and it would be interesting. He's got those. You know, Ian's a very tall, long guy. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to see that fight. I don't know if it'll happen. He's got Vicente Luque coming up next weekend. That's a fun fight. I did like the I did like the Ian Gary uh, Wonderboy ID. I know Ian Gary pitched that to me and about every other journalist he spoke to and I liked that matchup. Um I think it would have made a lot of sense. But you know, I, I do like Shavcat and, and, and Wonderboy fighting as well. But yeah, like it's so funny, like and Sean Strickland, let's just be honest. Sean Strickland kind of rocketed Ian Gary into the spotlight again because when Sean Sean Strickland's like a dog with a bone, man. When he gets when he gets when he finds something on somebody and he starts picking at you, he is relentless. Like Sean Strickland will go ham on you if you give him that opportunity. And boy, did he go ham on Ian Gary, and he did not stop, man. He just went off, and then like everybody just starts piling on. Uh, Sean Strickland weirdly like. He doesn't strike me as like the greatest trash talker in the world, but man, he is vicious in his social media game.
1: <laughs> he, he's always got something to say. That's for sure. So you may not be a trash talker like Connor, be able to put you down and all this shit, but he's always got something to say, right? He's going to, yeah. he's going to keep talking. So, you know, and you got to love the dude, man. Like he, he's a, he is a genuine man's man, right? You know, you may or may not agree with everything he says, but he's a man's man, and and you know he's gonna be a fun dude to go have a beer with, and you know eat some hot dogs at the baseball park with, or something like. Like uh, this is just a dude that is fun as hell, and he, you know, but he's also the kind of guy you can probably only handle in doses too. <laughs> like, you, you don't want to spend the whole evening with him having dinner with all your friends because you're like, okay, dude, I've had enough. Go somewhere else now. We all have these friends in our life.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Strickland was just relentless, man. Like he just, he went after Ian Gary and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, by the way, I'm certainly not placing judgment and I'm certainly not placing judgment on anyone's relationship. Certainly not my place. It's not really anyone's place to place judgment on Ian Gary and his wife. And I, I don't, I don't dig into any of that. I don't dig it at all. I don't like it. Um, I've only, I've only interviewed Ian once after his last win. I, I did an interview with him and uh, I know his wife followed me on Instagram once we booked the interview and I, I know she was, I know she does stuff with karate combat and stuff, but, uh, yeah, like I'm not, I don't really get into that stuff. Like, I think there is a, I think to me when it comes to, you know, trash talk in the sport, like there is a boundary, like I've said it may, I said it to him. You can go back and listen to my interview. It's online. It's in, it's on video on MMA fighting's YouTube channel. Um, I said, listen, I know, you know, Ian holds Conor McGregor in very high regard. There was Irish, you know, obviously, you know, from the same place. And, you know, Conor's the biggest star ever. But I said, even Conor, like I used to think Conor was the funniest, just the nastiest dude with trash talk. And then it's just like at some point he just lost material. And when he started insulting Khabib's wife and all that kind of stuff, like that's where it got uncomfortable. And I just lost interest in it. And we started talking about Poirier's wife and I'm like, let's not let's just stop like that's I don't you know don't draw that there's no reason like you know I mean like they didn't they're not just because they're married to a fighter doesn't mean they have to be drawn into your bullshit like I don't I don't go for that like be more creative Connor was the most creative guy ever with the red panty night and the who the fuck is that guy the Jeremy Stevens thing like all those were hilarious but when you start bringing in like Dustin Poirier's wife Khabib's wife like I got no I got no I got no interest so kind of the same thing here like I'm not defending Ian Gary, but I'm saying like, I just, I don't know, man. I get uncomfortable when it gets like people's families and stuff like that. Like insult the dude say he sucks at fighting and pick him apart. But I don't know. Like it just, I, I always get a little uncomfortable when it turns to, like the wives of fighters or husbands or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. No shit, man. Cause that's, uh, cause it's also something there's a couple of different pieces that I write where when you're insulting someone's family, you know it's something that for one like you don't even understand it right so like you're insulting so th- it doesn't actually carry any meaning right so it's like you're trying to cut deep into something but you don't actually understand it right if you talk about like red panty night or you know the shit like that it's like we all get that and those become iconic so to speak uh, uh quotes like like we all talk like red panty night's like a, a phrase now that we use you know <laughs> yeah. or or if you know when i'm see somebody come in the gym that hasn't been there for a while. Who the fuck is that guy? Right. Like (laughs) like these are commonly known phrases or someone throws a spinning technique. You're like, Oh, we're throwing spinning shit now. Right. (laughs) Like these are phrases that become iconic. When you start like fucking with people's wives and, and families, like we don't remember that shit. We're like, dude, that was a low blow. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't need to hear that shit. Like you said, it's not creative and it, it doesn't like, it doesn't strike a chord with anybody you know, yeah. cause, cause what we feel like when he says, ah, oh, it's red painting night. Like we all feel that. Cause we're like, yeah, we, we all want red painting night too. Like we, <laughs> we get, we get this, uh, this, uh, insult here, but like you start attacking people's wives. We're like, dude, if I was him, like I'd stand up and fuck him up right now. Right. You know, uh, yeah. and as somebody, I forget who somebody did do that. They got up at the press conference and cause the dude was talking about his wife or something. And he got up and was was it Poirier maybe or Jamie Stevens or I can't remember. I can't
2: remember who it was I can't remember who it was Yeah, yeah it, but
1: yeah you know th- yeah good. The, those, those are the types they, of things that you know just it's just it's useless It, it doesn't you know it's not creating any any real uh, drama for the common people
2: It to me it's like it's low hanging fruit and it's just like when you it, you when you when you can't creatively dig at a guy and that's the route you have to go then you've run out of material like you, know yeah. way, like you know like and listen I understand like a big part of this came down to Ian Gary you know when he was gonna fight Jeff Neal he had the mug shot that Jeff Neal had from jail when he got arrested he put that on a t-shirt and I know that rubbed Jeff Neal the wrong way I'm not saying he's right or wrong let me be clear about that I'm not saying what Ian Gary did was right or wrong but that was still Jeff Neal. He didn't have Jeff Neal's wife's picture on his t-shirt. It was Jeff Neal. Now, when he went when he went after Neil Magny, it was all pretty much, you know, fun and games. And then Neil Magny, I love Neil. You know we love Neil. I love Neil. I would consider Neil a good just a great dude. Neil made the mistake of trying to go word for word with Ian Gary and he and he said something dumb at a press conference when he said, I'll beat you, you know, I know what a beating looks like. I got two kids, or whatever it was, whatever I'm paraphrasing that sounds horrible. You should like, he tried to trash talk. Neil Bagney should not try to trash talk. I think we can all agree on that. And then Ian just jabbed him for it. and He kept jabbing him for it. And again, it's something Neil said. Neil shouldn't. I don't think, I don't believe Neil Magney is beating his children, but he made it. He tried to be funny and tried to be like, a trash talker and it just backfired spectacularly on him. And so Ian found a, a nail and he just kept hammering it on him for the rest of the time they were fighting. And again, I'm not justifying that, but I'm saying like, that's just turning Neil's own words against him. He didn't say, Hey, your wife is blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, your kids are shitty or, you know, he didn't, he didn't go that route. And that's why I I'm not saying what Sean Strickland should or shouldn't say. I don't care. Like I'm not going to police anyone's speech. Again, I'm not trying to cancel Sean Strickland. I give a fuck what he says. But I just think, like, when it comes to that kind of stuff, like, there's just – I'm not saying, like, it has to be a hard line in the sand, but, like I, I, like, I don't i don't think she said anything about him. Like, I don't think she made public that Sean Strickland's a bad guy or – you know what I mean? Like, she, he just went after her, un, like, unabated. You know what I mean? And, like, that but to me I, just – If
1: I remember listening – I listened to Sean Strickland's little rant and – I don't remember it word for word or anything, but if I remember right, he was kind of he was going to Ian Gary, right? He was just saying like, like that's very beta of you, just saying like, like uh, you know, you're kind of a beta male, bro. Like, you know, the, you know, you're in a fucked up situation. If I remember correctly, he, he didn't kinda, really attack his wife or anything.
2: I mean, he did, but then he went later and like, you know, he basically said it was like, you know, it was like a sexual predator and things like that. And like tweets he had more recently, and I'm just like, I don't know, I just. It's not my place to place judgment on anyone's relationship, one way or the other. I don't know his wife at all. Like, I have no idea who she is. She followed me on Instagram. I followed her back on Instagram. Don't know her at all. I know I've talked to Ian. Had a great interview with Ian a few months ago. Seemed like a good dude. Um, He says some dumb things. But, like, and again, like, if you want to dig on Ian Gary, why don't we dig on, like, if you're going to dig on Ian Gary, let's talk about, like, all the gyms he keeps leaving and switching out of and apparently, like, doesn't work out going to Leon Edwards' gym and then he was at Kill Club. Now he's not there. Now he's down in Brazil. That, if you want to dig on that, like, how maybe he's a bad teammate or whatever, then go for it. But I just, I don't know, man. I just don't really see the wife stuff. I just don't really get into that. I just, it's like, you know, um, it just doesn't appeal to me. To me, again, it's like it's like low-hanging fruit and it's just not really funny or interesting um, you know, it's just like last night during the no, BKFS I'm... during the BKFC card, Eddie Alvarez's wife is notoriously loud when he fights. And one of the other fighters from BKFC was uh, in the, in the press conference. And he's like, so I was near your wife and she was yelling. Let me just be honest with you. Eddie, your wife scares the shit out of me. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, you know, but you don't, in, you don't insult his wife. Like she's just his wife. Like, I just, I don't know. I just don't see a purpose for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It, it, like you said, it's just low hanging fruit and, um, you know, you, just stay away from it. Like you said, just, it's, it's useless. It's not accomplishing anything. Um, and, and, and Sean Strickland, he's just a, a fucking nut job too, though. Like, <laughs> and he knows it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like he's, he's a crazy son of a bitch. Like he doesn't give a fuck and he's, he's, he's one of those guys that would probably I, in my opinion, if he had like a PR person, like he'd probably be like 10 times more famous. Cause you know, like when he's tweeting or doing these videos, like I don't think he puts a single second of thought into it or like, you know, how could this, you know, have the most powerful impact or anything, you know, how could I say this the right way or get across the right way or anything? I mean, I think he literally is just like a thought comes into his mind. He's like, let's fucking go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and when you, and we talk about like funny and interesting, you know, if you go back to like a, a, most of this trash talk stuff, I, if, if I'm calling it outright, they're basically pulling from the WWE, right? Like this is sort of the basic premise of it where it kind of started, right? If we're all just fighters and we're all just warriors and martial artists, like we're, we're not really trash talkers. Like we say, we're going to fuck you up, right? Like, like most of us, um, kind of regular everyday i don't know how all, most of us warriors are right like it, yeah that's not really what's on our mind but then they realize that you know this drama is what is going to create uh, a lot more attention to the fight so they pull from wwe i've never once heard a wwe person attack somebody's wife now they probably do i don't know i don't really watch it that much <sighs>
2: When they do, and I'll say this because obviously I know a lot about the pro wrestling industry. When they do, it's because the wife is in on it. Like they're they know that it's coming. Like they're like it's part of the skit, you know. when they yeah. go after somebody's wife it's because like the wife will be sitting in the front row and they'll say something. Everyone oohs and ahs, but it's part of the plan like they're not the guy who he's talking to knows that it's going to happen and like okay here's where we're going to go with this and that kind of stuff they're not just unabashedly just ripping someone's wife for no reason you know because it's all part of the skit yeah you're absolutely right and uh and like i said dude i sean strickland is wild and insane as he is he actually does say some funny stuff we did our best of 2022 last year on mma fighting i said sean strickland had the best trash talk when he had that interaction with israel adesanya at the press conference he says no guy that jerks off to car cartoons is going to beat me and i thought it was hilarious like it was a hilarious line because everyone knows adesanya loves anime and he loves you know he loves japanese anime it was hilarious it was a great line i was the best line best trash talk line of the year was that one
1: (laughs) that's that feels like a hard job like you gotta get through all the trash talk lines (laughs) of the year and pull out the best one
2: that was that was the one though. He's like, no one known who jerks off to cartoons is gonna beat me. And I was like, that's pretty that's pretty slick. Like that's a good that's a good line to turn about. Even even out of Sonia that moment seemed a little flustered when he's just like, oh shit. So it was good. <laughs> like yeah, you know, Strickland's got Strickland definitely had those moments, man. He's a he can be a funny. He's a lunatic, but he's a funny dude at all at times.
1: Yeah, he's just off the cuff. I mean, every everything he says, I, I don't I really don't think anything's planned with him. I think it's straight off the cuff and. Uh, Which is why we love him, right? (laughs) Again, you might disagree with half of the things, ninety percent of the things he says. You know, he might turn some people off, but at the same time, you kind of gotta love him, right? He's a fucking uh, blue-collar guy who came into the sport and and grinded his way to the top the hard way, got a title shot the hard way, ended up taking you know a fight against one of the baddest, most polished dudes in history, wins the fight, and now he's enjoying life and saying whatever the fuck he wants, whatever the fuck he wants, right? He'd be kicked out of the NFL. He'd be kicked out of MLB. They wouldn't let him do this, but you know he's he's that guy that he would get himself kicked out of any other job in the world because that's who he is. I, I think it's very pure and authentic, and I think that's what uh, we like
2: about him. He's genuine, He's genuine for better or worse. Like when Colby Covington says the stuff he says, we've all known at some point he's playing a character. Now maybe he's become that character over time, but it, we knew at the beginning like he was a when he when you just suddenly become that dude, just like Chell Sonnen did it. Chell Sonnen used to be the quietest dude ever. Like he never really said anything. I interviewed chill dozens of times where it was just a normal interview, and then one day he just flipped a switch and said, "If I go after Anderson Silva." and call him all these names and say all this crazy stuff about him, I'm going to get more attention. And then now Chel Sonnen is one of the most prolific talkers and biggest stars the sport's ever produced. He created a character, created a persona. Colby Covington did the same thing. I think that's just who Sean Strickland is. I think Sean Strickland, if he wasn't a fighter, if he was just digging ditches in Vegas for a living, he'd still be saying this shit on the internet, because that's just who Sean Strickland is. That's exactly who he is. And, and the, you know, with Chel Sonnen, I think that,
1: that's actually who he was i think he was suppressing that yeah he may have been he may have been that that's a, that's the a feeling i get from him is he was actually suppressing who he actually was and then he said you know what? i'm just gonna be myself and because if i remember right wasn't he like a politician for a while or something too or was he in politics
2: he yeah he tried to do politics for a little while yeah
1: Oh, he tried to do it. and It didn't go well. Didn't didn't
2: did, didn't work. Didn't work out for him. No, didn't work out. He had a felony conviction at one point, and for that whole uh, real estate thing years ago. So, yeah, I
1: think that's yeah. You know, what was it? Yeah, and, and Tito tried politics. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Tito's 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 went way worse. Tito, when you when you get drummed out, when you get voted in and then just drummed out of the city council, it's not a good sign for you
1: uh it's just the fucking city council bro Yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I was just i mean i was just i mean who knows like i said i could only imagine what those meetings were like with tito ortiz around things but uh yeah and, and again i'm not even faulting people for creating characters like if it gets you attention good for you but i'm saying sean strickland is a character this is who sean strickland is love him or hate him and as you said i agree with about 10 percent of what that guy says but I know it's just genuinely Sean Strickland. Like he is that yeah. dude. Just like when you see the video of him confronting some guy who he thought was breaking into his car, ended up being a dude running from the cops and he goes out there with his handgun and holds him at gunpoint until the cops get there to arrest him. That's Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland would be doing that exact same thing. If he was working construction as he is the UFC middleweight champion of the world.
1: Yeah. He was waiting for that day for years, but he was so, <laughs> you know, he so like his eyes
0: lit up when that shit happened. <laughs>
2: He, you know, as we talk about like that dude, like we and just to make a transition here, Saturday night the other big fight, of course, was Mike Perry beating Eddie Alvarez. Mike Perry is that dude. Mike Perry, it's so wild to think he was always like kind of a he was a good fighter in the UFC. He wasn't a bad fighter, just he wasn't like top ten, top five in the world. Bare knuckle, though. It, we I know we've said it time and time and time and time again. And I'm going to say it again. He was made for bare knuckle, man. This guy is a fucking savage. And to go out there and stop Eddie Alvarez in the second round because Eddie's orbital is broken. His face is swelled up three times the side of his face. And, and Mike Perry was pissed off because he wanted five rounds. He's like, I want someone to meet me in the middle and throw down with me for five rounds. I was upset that he couldn't go past two rounds. Dude, that dude is a fucking savage.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, man. Like, especially like, going from Luke Rockhold to Eddie Alvarez, I mean, and beating both of them in Bare Knuckle, like yeah, you're you're exactly right. He this guy was literally built for this sport. He was born for this sport. It's a, it's amazing how things work out. Where This sport was just born what 5 years ago or something and Mike Perry was coming up like 5 years ago and now yeah, you know, the roads collide and now he's the uh, the star of BKFC and you know, good for him, man. Like he deserves this shit. Um, you know, yeah, he's a fucking killer. You can't, you can't even, you can't say it any better. Like he was built for this shit, born for this shit. And he's going to thrive in this shit for a long time. Um, until, you know, I don't know if they start bringing in some, uh, really, really good talent. Um, I, I would love to see some like real boxers go into bare knuckle uh, you know, even if they're like some of the lower level guys, they just they know they're never going to be champion in their weight class. It's like, all right, we'll try the bare knuckle. Because with the one that we have seen was Polly Malinagi, And Polly was a really, really good boxer. You know, never had power. Um, you know, wasn't, you know, a legendary boxer by any means or anything. But he was a really good boxer. And he got fucked up by fucking Artem Lobov <laughs> in bare yeah. knuckle. Yeah. So it, that's amazing to me like how you, uh, like how different the sport is just by taking the gloves off and how much it changes cuz if it's a boxing match I, I can't imagine for a second that Lobov would have a a chance in hell to win a single round.
2: Oh so, no. It it would be, be as lopsided as you could get in a fight, but then you put it you do it bare knuckle. I
1: think that it would, right? Yeah. But that I would like to see some real boxers come over
2: well we do have they, they announced and i know like he was never like the top guy in the world but austin trout is fighting luis palomino in bare knuckle in february and austin yeah, trout austin trout's
1: perfect yeah yeah
2: Yeah, like he fought obviously as a winner of he how is, is he's he's in his late he's in his late 30s he's older but i mean listen he's still i mean he was still a ranked guy like he wasn't like you know he's just you look yeah. at his boxing record he's still off wins like he wasn't just you know getting knocked out left and right and then he decided to do bare knuckle. Like, he was off some wins. He has a winner with Mikel Cotto. Fought Canelo a few years ago. You know, I mean. Does he have a, has he fought in bare knuckle already? Yeah, he fought Diego Sanchez and beat up Diego in that uh, one that fight. Yeah, 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 okay,
1: you're right. Yeah, yeah, which is a pretty easy fight for him. Uh, is he in uh, Perry's weight class?
2: Uh, he He's he's technically below it because he's fighting lightweight. Now he's fighting Luis Palomino, who's the lightweight champions. So they're one weight class below Perry um but i mean palomino's wanted that fight forever he's wanted perry for a long time and we all know what kind of guy luis palomino is and if austin Trout could beat him i mean who's to say they couldn't do it uh you know do it a catch weight or something do it at 170 something like that who knows but um yeah I, I like i dude i'm just i i i i find so much enjoyment watching mike perry enjoy himself doing this and i i've said this on the show before when Mike Perry was in the UFC, I think maybe I interviewed him like one time, and he was always, he just always seemed so out there and just kind of like a wild dude. And like, he was getting in trouble a lot, and you know, he had a lot, you know, a lot of bad press, a lot of bad things going on. He gets to bare knuckle. I, I've interviewed him before and after every single fight he's had in BKFC, and Mike Perry has legitimately become one of my favorite interviews in the sport. Well spoken, smart. Like, he doesn't get nearly enough credit for how smart he is. Like, he actually yeah. is a super smart guy. And he's just a fucking savage in there, man. Like, I I root for that guy to find success, man. Like, he's just, I'm so happy for him. And he's making, you know, millions per fight now, like, doing this in bare knuckle. And, and he's a star. I mean, I can tell you from social media and a, and a traffic standpoint, like, people looking, Armin Sarukian knocks out Benil Dariush in the UFC. Mike Perry finishes Eddie Alvarez in BKFC. Eddie, out, Mike Perry's up here in terms of interest, and Armin's mm. down here. And I'm not saying that Armin's what Armin did isn't amazing. It is. I'm saying people are way into Mike Perry and Bare Knuckle fighting. Like they are way on when he fights, people show up and watch.
1: That's fucking amazing, bro. I love hearing that. You, you know, and and not only was he born for this and built for this shit, but he is the perfect face of Bare Knuckle boxing too. You got to <laughs> give it to him for that, right? He has whether it's a character or whether it's who it really is, like he is the perfect character, perfect personality for, for this sport. Uh, I mean, he is who you think of when you think of bare knuckle, uh, a, a bare knuckle boxer, right? Like everything about him just exudes a bare knuckle boxer. Right. And <laughs> yeah, it, it just works out perfect, man.
2: And I know I talked to Dave Feldman, the president of BKFC beforehand. He said something to me, we we're talking about, pfl buying bellator and he said something to me he said that he doesn't look at ufc or pfl or any of those other organizations as, as as competition because it's not bare knuckle like bare knuckles what he's focused on you know And he's like the only thing we'll ever compete for is occasionally we might be, it could be for fighters so if he becomes a free agent maybe i get them maybe pfl gets them, Maybe bellator gets them But just in the bigger combat sports landscape, it feels like bare knuckle does kind of get lumped in a little bit more with MMA because they have a lot of prominent MMA fighters over there. You know, of course, you know, obviously we saw Beck Rowling's fight. Um, Jeremy Stevens fought Jimmy Rivera. That was fun. A lot of guys come over from there and they sold 8,000 tickets to the Utah Maverick Center, which is where the UFC held held their event recently. 8,000 tickets, tons of interest online. Tons of pay-per-views, and they got a legitimate star, Mike Perry. I'm just throwing this out there, Matt. I'm going to stir some controversy when I say this. Don Davis and the PFL want to say we're going to be the co-leader, and I'm sure you saw what Dana said, just drummed him back into non-existence with his <laughs> just – I I told you, don't poke the bear, man. Dana is not that dude. He will absolutely obliterate you, and he did. If you want to look at the legit number two combat sports organization in the world right now, I think it's BKFC. When BKFC has big fights, dude, it's huge. Like, when he fought Rockhold, when Perry fought Rockhold on that card and Eddie fought Chad Mendez, that was a card everyone wanted to see. Am I wrong Is in that, thinking, like, it's UFC and BKFC, maybe the second biggest, like, most interested combat sports league?
1: That's a really great point, too, because it also has staying power. You know, the, the the PFL, Bellator, like, maybe they put on one great fight. Maybe they get in Gato to fight somebody and you know, everybody gets there. No one's going to get invested in PFL Bellator like they are UFC, but I could see where like bare knuckle boxing, because it's such a different sport. Like it's always, it's going to have its place. there always right. It's, it has staying power. And and like you said, they have a legitimate star right now, uh, which is just going to elevate the chance for more stars. Right and and give maybe guys another option, you know, if they don't want to be a boxer or or a UFC fighter. Now they got another option for combat sports, you know. As as that money comes up, Um, and eight thousand tickets is nothing to scoff at. You know, it's not a UFC event by any means, right? Where it's like twenty thousand easily, you know, like a minimum of like fifteen thousand for the most uh, fight night cards, Uh, but. 8,000 tickets, but I mean, I've been to a lot of really big shows, MMA shows, like PFL's probably not selling 8,000. I've been to Bellator shows where, you know, there wasn't 8,000 people there.
2: I've been to, I've been to shows like that where I'd be, like, I'd be shocked there were 2,000 people there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we yeah, like
1: good shows, we're like really, good, oh, yeah. really good names on the show, but it's not UFC.
2: UFC is such a brand now that, like, you know, you could argue Armin Saruki and Benil Darius aren't the biggest names in the sport because they're not. Like, they're really not. But it was a great card. And they broke the record for that arena last night in Texas, in Austin. Like, that's the – like, I'm know. i know, I'm not trying to hammer on a dead – to beat on a dead horse that we talked about a couple weeks ago with the PFL thing. But, like, that's where you're talking about. That's why Dana is saying – One shitty organization that sells no tickets and nobody watches bought another shitty organization that sells no tickets and nobody watches. He's like, it's fucking great. I agree. Like, that's what we kept saying. Like, I hope PFL finds nothing but success. But you can't say you're on the same level or you're going to be on the same level as the UFC. No one has done that yet. Now, can you find your – the the key, which is what BKFC has done – is carving out your own niche, carving out your own section. Yeah, and what Dave Feldman, Dave Feldman has said this many times, I'm, he said, "I'm not going against the UFC. I love what they do. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to, you know, bite the hand that feeds me. I'm not trying to go head to head with the UFC. They're the biggest. I'm acknowledging that. I'm just trying to find my own place in the sport. And guess what? BKFC has found that when they have these big cards." Like when Artem fought Poly, when Artem fought Poly Malignaggi, that was the talk of the town. For that whole two weeks leading yep. up to that, that was all anyone could talk about. Mike Perry fighting Luke, Mike Perry fighting Michael Venom Page, Mike Perry fighting Luke Rockhold, Mike Perry fighting Eddie Alvarez. These are moments that everyone wants to see, or at worst, everyone's like, I got to see the highlights of that fight. I got to see what happened. That's the difference. I, I would say the hierarchy in combat sports right now is UFC, BKFC, and then probably PFL at that point. And I don't, I'm don't i not talking about money and revenue and all those kind of things because we've already said many times over the UFC is the only really profitable organization. But in terms of interest, I would argue BKFC has a larger lion's share of the interest than anybody outside the UFC.
1: Well, I guess the only X factor there would be one championship, but uh... – All you hear about is how their numbers are inflated or it's bullshit, uh, which I don't know what the truth of the matter is in that, you know, um, with the social media numbers or their revenue or profit numbers. Um, But I would put them as an X factor, right? Uh, Particularly because like they put on good shows with really good fighters and their uh, Muay Thai. I, I mean, nobody has taken Muay Thai and done what they have done with it nobody's put it in that much of a spotlight like there's been people try no one has done it as well as one has so far and i think at least the potential wise i think they have more potential to grow to actually be a co-leader than anyone else does
2: they have a chance problem is is they're burning a lot of money and from what i hear it's not you know that's a problem in in the long run so we'll see how it turns out i again but Give credit for well, one the, champion. The, you know, they're, get-
1: they're the, when you read Chachri's interviews and, uh, you know, everybody has mixed opinions about Chachri and uh, you, the problem seems to be that they're like, yeah, you know, we're going to, it's all going to be better in 2021 and then 2021 is like, it's all gonna be better in 2022. And, then like, <laughs> be in and the, you know, so hopefully, I, I just hope that he's actually telling the truth. I have no idea if he is, I don't know the guy or anything about him, but I hope that, I hope they're able to keep one. I hope that it, it doesn't go under. I hope it works out. And I hope that, um, you know, they, it's a complete could because again, like you talk about the niche, like it is, it's his own niche product. They have MMA, you know, and and it's not going they, 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 they got to know that it's not going to compete with the UFC or they would only do MMA, but they bring the Muay Thai and they bring the grappling. And it's an amazing show.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, and and you do the crossover fights, like when they had Fabricio Andrade fight uh, Jonathan Haggerty. Like that was fun. Their MMA champion crossed over to fight their Muay Thai champion and Jonathan Haggerty fucked him up. And we saw the levels of Jonathan Haggerty like as a world Muay Thai champion. That's the kind of fights where you're like, oh damn, like that's the kind of, like that's the kind of fight where you're like, oh geez, I need to pay attention to this Jonathan Haggerty guy. I didn't know him before he just fought the MMA guy. Uh same thing. You're right. They're carving out their own niche. You know, they're trying to do something a little bit different to separate themselves from other organizations. I know PFL's tried to do that with the tournament and the season, but
1: they it's been that, that that like we are that's been tried right yeah <laughs>
2: like, i mean there there five seasons in and and I, and if you if you quiz if you quiz 100 MMA fans name five PFL champions not name Kayla Harrison who have been the PFL champions in the past five years who are they and i guarantee you 80 people would whiff on who five people are that have been PFL champions cuz they switch every year
1: you know well, like every you, year it's a different yeah well, even even i mean just go ask 20 people who Kayla Harrison is and 19 of them are going to know. The the one that does know is because he trains at a gym and he overheard his friends <laughs> talking about it. You know, not, he, he's probably never, I've never even watched the Kayla Harrison fight and I love Kayla Harrison. I mean, I think what she's doing is amazing, but I've never watched the fight.
2: I just think again, you're, you got to do something to separate yourself and like when they did their big promo, about the PFL when they bought Bellator, they said PFL is home to superstars like Francis Ngannou and Jake Paul. Francis Ngannou hasn't fought there yet, and Jake Paul may never fight there. Like, you're banking on two stars. One guy who's basically openly said the biggest fight you could promote for him is a mixed rules fight with Deontay Wilder because you have no one for him to fight. Like, there's no heavyweight that's interesting for you to put in there with Francis Ngannou. And then you got Jake Paul. Who is a legitimate star? Absolutely, he is. But he's never fought MMA before, so you're banking right. on him being one of your yeah, stars. Even,
1: even with that, like you know, again, like the UFC doesn't have to promote like we have these big stars, right? Because they have too many of them. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, we know that the biggest stars, you know, are few. But like, like you said, that they put on a show uh, last weekend with two guys that aren't even considered stars, and they're selling out arenas, right? So. You know when, so even if they were able to put Jake Paul on a card, we're going to watch that one show. Normal people are going to watch that one show, and probably it's not going to get them invested in the PFL. They were there for Jake Paul. People are invested in the UFC. Yeah, people get invested in BKFC. They're not. They're not like no one. People aren't watching. You know, again, I think there's a little bit of of a dynamic there where like, like people will watch for Ronda Rousey. People did or did watch people did watch for Conor McGregor, but the 90 percentile of people are watching because
2: it's UFC and it's a big fight. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And Like I said, that's again, this whole PFL thing. Like I hope they find nothing but success, but you got to find your way to carve out a niche and get people interested. It can't just be a promise of, Francis Ngannou and Jake Paul, are your two biggest stars. You've been around for six years now, and the two biggest stars of your organization are people you signed in the last nine months
1: <laughs> that, that haven't fought in the organization.
2: And one of them is your one of them is a star because he fought in the UFC. Like Francis Ngannou yeah, right. is a star because he was the UFC heavyweight champion. Um right. that's it, a problem. It, it's like, such an
1: uphill battle, man. You know, it is. Like, it is a uh, tough, tough, tough business to get into. Uh, as is, you know, boxing, all combat sports, tough, tough business. But you're going up against a fucking monster. You know, yeah. like the UFC is an absolute fucking monster when you talk about the business.
2: Well, and that's why I appreciate what BKFC is doing. Like they're carving out their own niche. They found a guy, Mike Perry, who is a good mid-level welterweight in the UFC. You know what I mean? Never a star, never a huge star, you know, a bit of a draw. You know, he definitely had a crowd, but never like a huge draw. But then you put him in the fucking bare knuckle world and he's like, I'm a savage over here and he's so much fun to watch. Great mm. personality. And something else Dave Feldman said last night I want to mention real quick before we get out of here. He was talking about like building more stars. He said, we're actually going to bring in some former WWE wrestlers To help our guys kind of get their personalities out there a little bit more because you know some guys just aren't you know they're they're clammed up about talking about themselves or it's just weird to do interviews and things like that like it's a it's a skill you know what I mean like you've learned it like everyone learns it you know over the years I was like man that's a great idea because some people just aren't built for that like they're not not saying he's gonna suddenly they're all gonna suddenly become Conor McGregor but like just get them to open up and be honest and be able to speak on a microphone and things like that I was like man what a what a great business plan that is like that's a great idea. That's what I'm talking about, man. BKFC is finding their niche and they're carving it out and they found a place in combat sports. Yeah. And that's a very
1: smart thing, dude. You know, I always found it interesting that the UFC doesn't do that. Like I I know that the uh, college athletes get media trained, you Mm know, um, NFL, MLB, like they all get media trained. My uh, girlfriend is a former supermodel and she told me about the media training that she went through just as being a, a fucking model yeah you know and i'm like but the ufc doesn't do that that's very i've always wondered about that um but they they will also tell you like sean shelby's told me straight up like the ufc doesn't change who you are or try to manipulate who you are we magnify who you are yeah i I found that very interesting when he told me that you know and it's it's actually very true right it it absolutely magnifies who you are and i kind of like that too about the way dana has done things she's like He's like, we're not going to train you or teach you how to be yourself. And you can be whatever the fuck you want to be. You can be a nut job like Sean Strickland or, you know, you can be a, you know, whatever you want to be. And, you know, you come in and you fight hard and, you know, obviously you're going to get preferential treatment, right? If you're a Colby Covington or, or, uh, um, you know, whoever, but, you know, like Hamza, it's not like that, you know, like he's a, a pretty quiet guy. He's, you know, he'll say some shit, right. But he's a, but you see some of his interviews, like, you can tell, like, this dude's never had no media training, right? Like, yeah. like sometimes he won't even barely talk, right? He's an absolute fucking killer. But he gets to push because he's a killer. So, you know, it's a little bit of like two different business models, but it did—it it always surprised me that they never did any uh, media training with the UFC.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. But you're absolutely, you're also, again, the UFC is such a huge organization that they just shine a spotlight on anybody it's gonna be a big deal. You know what I mean? Like that's just how big the UFC is. And I appreciate Dana when he says like we don't police what people say. We don't tell people what they should say. Um you know are there times when I wish certain language wouldn't get used? Like I really don't need to hear homophobic slurs and things like that. But like I appreciate that dana is just like you know, be who you are. Like Sean Strickland's a fucking nut Okay, you be a nut. Like that's who you are. Like you're just genuinely like I, like we just said earlier. Sean Strickland as a fighter would be the same guy as Sean Strickland the construction worker. <laughs> like that's just Sean Strickland and I appreciate that they're not trying to mold him into some, you know, champion that they can market and put on billboards. Like he's Sean Strickland. Like him or hate him, love him or hate him, he's Sean fucking Strickland. And I appreciate that. You know, but I also but I do understand like, you know, some guys like some guy might have like deep down inside of a great personality just doesn't know how to express himself and having someone help you with that. um, Just like when I was learning how to do interviews, like learning how to ask questions and ask them the right way. Like you never ask a you never asked a closed ended question where I could just ask you a question and you can just answer with yes or no. I have to ask you open-ended questions to get you to talk. Like that's an interviewing technique that I learned in college. Pretty simple, but it's true. Like never, never ask a question that could just be answered with a yes or no, because all you have to say is yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So yeah, it's funny. It's funny because I remember like when I first started in the UFC. um, Like I wish I had some media training or something (laughs) because. I like. I remember what you probably remember interviewing me early on in the UFC. I mean, I had very, um, very short answers, very quick responses, and it was basically you know, you know, you'd say something like, like you know, how you feeling for this fight? I'm feeling great. I'm gonna fuck him up, (laughs) (laughs) and that was it. You know. So you, you're like, okay, I didn't ask you a closed-in question, but you basically made it a closed-in answer.
2: <laughs> I had, if you remember correctly, the way we the way we first got moving was uh, during your season of the Ultimate Fighter. You and Mike Dolce were my Ultimate Fighter correspondents on my old radio show back yep. on MMA Weekly. So that's how I did. Yep. Yeah, it was the first. That was back in the Ultimate Fighter. You and Mike Dolce uh, were the guys. Mike's always been like super talkative, super chatty. Matt Brown, not so much. But we got you to open up. We got you to open up over time.
1: Well, you know, the, um, the, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great conversation actually, because, you know, I was a a shy kid, right? Like I, and and I wasn't, uh, used to being in the spotlight. Like I didn't have a lot of friends, you know, I was, uh, very much a gym rat and stuck to myself, very introverted. Um, and even today, like it still takes me practice. Like you, I'm imagining, like you could probably tell the difference between when I first started this podcast as to now like I can speak like longer paragraphs, right? Like (laughs) It's funny. The reason I talk about it is like, it is an actual skill. So when they talk about bringing in these WWE guys, it's a brilliant move because it is an actual skill. People uh, on the outside probably don't realize like how much of a skill that it actually is. Like me and you sitting here doing this podcast, like this actually takes practice. You don't just do it good the first time. And that's one of the things, um, uh, I've learned over time. Like that's when I started taking, uh, every interview that I could. And I would consciously like be trying to practice, you know, having actual, like better speaking techniques, not saying, um, uh, all the time. Right. And pausing and saying like all the time, nothing drives me crazier than hearing people say like all the time. It's <laughs> like a <fucking> teenage girl. <laughs> and, and if you say, it, of course, like, you know, it's a part of verbiage that you can use here and there, but when you hear it all the time, it, it It just drives me up the motherfucking wall, but and I probably say fuck too much still. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, I think my point is it's a it's a great idea, and I think it's going to pay dividends for them. To be honest.
2: I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing podcasts together now, like this show, obviously, this version of our show, but going back to our old show with you, me, our buddy Jeremy Loper, and, of course, the legend Mark Coleman. And we've been doing podcasts together for five, six years. And the rapport we had on day one, we used to step into that radio studio when there was four of us. And the, the rapport we built from there to where we are now is totally different than when it started. You know what I mean? But, like, if you did a podcast, or if I did a podcast, like, when I have guest hosts on, like, I've built a good rapport. Like, uh, when you, when a couple of times you've been out or not been able to make the show, I've had Alan Joban step in. And I have a great rapport with Alan because he does radio a lot. Like, he does his own radio show, so he's used to having that dynamic. Other people I've had in, it turns into just an interview where I'm like trying to probe them to get them to talk because yeah. they're not used like a co. Like when we're co-hosting a podcast, yeah, this isn't me interviewing you. This is us talking. That's what this is. Yeah. Like I'm not interviewing Matt Brown. It's a podcast, and so it's a different feel than when you're sitting down you know, talking about when you fought Court McGee or whatever. You know what I mean? So sure, yeah. it's different, and that's what I said. The report we have. but I think it's just, I think it's a great idea because I think there are some great personalities out there, but some guys just don't know how to exude themselves don't know how to talk about themselves don't like i get weird when i get interviewed when people have me on their shows like i still get a little weird when people are asking me questions like it's still kind of weird to me because i'm used to being on the other side of that yeah but uh yeah i think it's it's a great idea actually uh
1: i don't know if i ever told you i actually did started my own podcast um and i'm gonna actually do it for real at some point but um i did about three episodes uh and it was me leading and that's why I'm fortunate to have you because you've led for a long time, and you know how to do this. And it was again, I recognized it pretty quickly. I was like, dude, this is a skill that I do not have yet, and and, and you, you should. It's it's reasonable to not have that skill. Absolutely, right? I mean, if if you you know the first day in the gym, you suck, and it's only reasonable for you to suck, and you have to do it, you know, either so many times or for so long that you don't suck. Yeah, that like there's only two ways. That you get better at something, either more reps, or reps for a longer amount of time. Yeah. That, that those are the only two ways you get better at something. I I explain this to fighters all the time. You know, they they get disappointed, they're not doing good or whatever, and I'm like, dude, it, it's it only makes sense that you are not good right now. Like you have you've only been doing this a year. Like you're not supposed to be good. If you were good, that means you're a prodigy. That means you're an anomaly. That means you're very special. Like yeah. you're on the path that you're supposed to be on, enjoy it.
2: Absolutely, and I think it's a great idea. I think it's like the little things like that you can do to make your organization better, uh, build new stars. Great. I just I love what they're doing at BKFC, man. I can't say enough good things about them. I love their product. Their production's great. Um, the whole the whole product is amazing, and it's just cool to see a guy like Mike Perry find a home over there, making seven figures to fight him and Eddie Alvarez, just beating the hell out of each other. It was a lot is a blast. Um, it was just a fun night. Like I said, man, great fights. And, uh, you know, I think I know this is going to be harsh to say. And then, so I'm sure I'm going to get some messages about this offline. PFL. Could you learn a thing or two from what BKFC is doing? I'm not saying they should turn into a bare knuckle organization. I'm just saying like, find your niche and, and separate yourselves. because The tournament thing doesn't seem to be doing it and just becoming, just touting yourselves as a promotion that owns, that has Francis Ngannou and Jake Paul is probably not the way to do it,
1: in my opinion. Well, well, speaking on that, I mean, the promotion that is doing that right now is George Masvidal's promotion with the Game Bread Championships. You know, they're doing the bare knuckle MMA. And, you know, speaking on exactly what you're saying right there, they're doing something different. You know, it's MMA, so, you know, in a cage, so it's very similar to UFC and it'll never be UFC. It it just won't. Right? You're you're just not going to compete with them. But some people like that concept. You know, I've thought about doing it myself, creating my own little niche, which I think I've told you my idea before, where I want to have a fair fight, no rules other than what's fair, which means no nut shots, (laughs) no eye gouges, no uh, fingers, uh, manipulation, no fish hooking, right? You're wearing a cup and mouthpiece, but we're in an open area, maybe like a basketball court, maybe a football field. I don't know. We'll figure, <laughs> maybe figure that out when we get there and no time limit. And it's a fight, period.
2: Yeah. You, yeah. But
1: I'm talking, you can headbutt, you can elbow, you can kick down opponents. You can, you know, all this stuff is fair game because it is a, a fair fight between two men, with you know no cage that you can use to take them down or get back up, there's there's no there's no bullshit, not not even a mat. It doesn't have to have a mat. You have a regular like turf or or grass, and, and it's an actual fair fucking actual fight.
2: Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. I think more people need to take that advice and find your find your place. Uh, and I think and that's I get what up you got to do.
1: Sometimes.
2: No, no, I dig it. No, I like it. That's what I'm saying. That's what we're saying. Though, as we just keep saying the same thing, is like find your place and make your place, and separate yourself. And I think that's the, the struggle that every other organization, every other MMA organization, that has ever tried to compete with the UFC has struggled to do. The, I, there are rare moments. Where organizations have gotten attention, like when Strike Force for a little while, when they had Gina Carano and Chris Cyborg and Kimbo, and they were doing things like that, and they got some attention. They started drawing, they had big drawings on CBS and stuff like that. Just wasn't sustainable over a long period of time. That's yeah. the key. You know what I mean? Like right yeah, now, I mean, you okay, ha- you we have got-
1: to do something different. You can't try to make another Big Mac. Yeah. Right. You're not competing with a fucking Big Mac. You have to do a Flame Broil burger. you you have to do a square burger you have to do five (laughs) guys
2: you have to be five guys where it's like the upgrade from like it's where it's like a really good burger you know yeah don't don't try to do a fucking
1: big mac buddy it's not gonna work
2: (laughs) yeah and i think that's what the pfl is doing right now like we're making a big mac well it's not the big mac the ufc is the big mac you're right now you're jack in the box okay and you know jack in the box (laughs) is fine but you know jack in the box is not everywhere we don't have them here in ohio so yeah,
1: yeah. I, I was, I was going to say they're more like Arby's, like, cause there's no one in the line ever, <laughs> <laughs> even though, even though it's actually not like Arby's cause Arby's is actually the best fucking fast food that there is, but there's, <laughs> but there's never anybody in line, which just makes it taste all the better too.
2: Yeah, yeah, you gotta be like try to be Taco Bell. Like Taco Bell's always got a line. Not saying it's good, but it's yeah. always got a line. It's cheap, it's good. People enjoy getting it. So there you go, get that.
1: Yeah, that's what, exactly. You gotta be Taco Bell. You gotta be Chipotle. You know, you yeah. gotta do something completely different. Don't try to make another motherfucking Big Mac. <laughs> like, why? Why am I gonna choose your product when I can go to McDonald's and get a Big Mac? Like, why am I gonna stop at your little mom and pop shop? Yeah, and, and then when you know when you you know, team up with the other guys trying to do big Macs. you know, you're not the co-leader in big Macs, <laughs> like, like McDonald's, you know, it's yeah. like McDonald's has thousands or millions of locations around the world. Like, because you got 20 of them now, you think you're a co-leader. It's not what it is, buddy.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And like I said, then you got BKFC out there with some fucking spicy wings. and like, hey, man, spicy yeah. wings. That's something different. Yeah, I they're, like they're a spicy kind of like wing.
1: the Chick-fil-A, you know?
2: Yeah, like I like a spicy wing every now and again. I want some fucking kick yeah. in my stuff. Yeah, that's different. That's not a Big Mac, you know? Like they're yeah. trying something different.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly it, man. So, you know, you just got, i I love, you know, the more combat sports, the better, though. I just, I, I want to see some fucking Muay Thai come up, you know? <laughs> like, like, I don't I don't know what... You know, it, they need a star like a Mike Perry for Muay Thai. Yeah. Right. Like, like he just, like you said, it just all the stars align, man. And then he gets into the BKFC. He's the perfect fit. He's the perfect guy. He's winning the fights. Uh, Muay Thai's never had that guy that had that, that, um, livened a personality. I don't know what you that know. It factor. It's like an, it's, it's an it mind. factor.
2: Yeah. There's like an it factor to it. Like where they, and I, I think part yeah. of it, I'll be honest, I think part of it is, because the highest guys in Muay Thai are foreign, you know, at least here in America, it's hard. Now there are great American Muay Thai fighters, uh, and there have been trained in America and things like that. But I think that's the thing: is you gotta. Uh, it, it, it's just gonna take that one. Like I think, like Jonathan Haggard is a great case. Now he's British, of course, but like he's a great case of a guy who speaks well, knows the sport, and he's a savage, and he's gotten some huge wins and huge knockouts. Like that's a guy you can build around. One championship yeah, absolutely build around yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, even with him,
1: I mean, he's he's a very well-spoken he's a very intelligent guy yeah you know but but he's also with all love to him you know he's not charismatic he's not uh he's not going to come out with one-liners like conor mcgregor Yeah, and he's not interested in that either like that is you know a muay thai culture thing where they're very traditional and respectful and to me that's probably the biggest hurdle that kickboxing and muay thai is always going to have kickboxing has a better chance of finding those types of guys like right. they've had like the Tyrone Spong's or Tyrone Spong's. They've had the, you know, Rico Verhoeven's actually. uh Bader Hari is a great one. You know, he popularized the sport a lot more because he's a wild man. Uh, but then, you know, Rico, who's more of a dry guy, like kind of comes in and beats his ass and doesn't have any problems with it. You know, um, but I think that's why kickboxing has a better chance of that because there is more outspoken characters and the Dutch people are you know, there's some nutty people, right? The guys that do the kickboxing and, but they don't really show the like glory, for instance, doesn't really, you know, do anything to show their personalities. It's all about the sport. The same with Muay Thai. It's all about the sport and the Muay Thai guys are all very respectful. But until you get some of that, I mean, that's what changed the UFC, right? Was the ultimate fighter. When we started and it wasn't because of the fights on the Ultimate Fighter; it's because we started to get to know these people and get invested in them as human beings.
2: What is it? We talked about it when we, when we were discussing the Ultimate Fighter with your season. What is, like you had some savage knockouts on the Ultimate Fighter, but what does everyone always talk about when they talk to you about the and, Ultimate Fighter? It's the dip, without to fail, day, and to this day. it's a
1: seminar last weekend, people, were,
2: dude, I remember when you they <laughs> do
1: put the love just you dip and you <laughs> fucked them up. And, that's I'm like, what okay, i'm saying so,
2: like, yeah, yeah that's reminded me buddy that's like the ultimate fighter one with koshek being a dick in the house and everyone hating him and leaving and the whole fatherless bastard thing everyone remembers that whole thing like that's the kind of shit you remember because that's that's where we all get drawn to that kind of stuff and so yeah you're absolutely right like that's the stuff people remember i mean, I mean realistically like i like do
1: i remember julian lane and it didn't do a single thing. I don't think he even fought in the UFC. Right? He was only on the show. Yeah. But I remember his name to this day. He's like, just some big bro. Yeah. That's that's what's memorable is these uh, stupid quotes, and we're all victim of it. It's you know like like I'm the most martial arts centric, respectful guy you'll ever meet, but. I still remember that
2: shit. Yeah, you still remember Red Panty Night. That's what we just said earlier. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's personalities matter, man. I say it. It's like the quote in Pulp Fiction. Personality goes a long way. Uh, yeah, so don't be afraid to show it. Yeah, I remember K-1. What always separated me from K-1 was when they had the one-night tournaments. Like, I remember well, I remember staying up to all hours of the night to watch the old Grand Prix tournament where you see Jerome LeBanner and, and uh, you know, all those guys over there fighting and, and uh, Peter Arts and, and Ernesto Hoost and all those guys in this one-night Grand Prix's those were a blast and you see literally eight fights in a night or whatever you know this great tournament they separated themselves by doing that they don't do that anymore like that's not the way of the sport anymore you know but that's how I, yeah, that's K-1 when I got way,
1: yeah K-1 when I used backs. to get
2: way into K1 like that's what separated them like you'd see fucking and, and guy fight. when
1: you look at back at those K1 tournaments even though they didn't highlight those guys personalities they had very strong personalities in the in the sense of the way they fought yeah like yeah. Andy Hoog he was, you know, a crazy kind of karate guy. You had Ernesto Hoost, who was a grandmaster, you know, master leg kicker, Remy Rami, Rami Bonjasky with the flying knees. Um, you know, so you had uh, Glob Feitoso with his Brazilian kick. You know what I mean? So, like, these guys had these little um, intricacies about their technique that stuck out and made them unique in their own little way.
2: I remember when I went to K1 in Vegas back in 2004, and I no, saw yeah. Remy yeah. Bojanski decapitate vernon tiger white <laughs> he flew across mm. the ring with a flying kick and i thought he killed vernon white vernon white just slumped down in the corner i was like did he just kill a man did i just watch a <laughs> murder right in front of me and uh yeah that was the night bob Sapp fought uh chemo uh in k1 so yeah dude there's there, there was, some, there was bet some that
1: was a fun show there I bet that, <laughs> that was, bl- was fun
2: that was that was wild, dude. Chemo absolutely won that fight. They gave Bob Sapp like a four-minute break between rounds. They're <laughs> like, hold on, round can't start yet. Hold on, Bob's still getting oxygen over there. And then he came out <laughs> and ended up winning the fight. But it was like a three-minute break between rounds. It was like so so bad. But it was like they wanted Bob Sapp to win. They were trying to book him and Mike Tyson at the time because they had Mike Tyson in yeah, that yes, night.
1: I remember that, yeah. Yeah,
2: and they, and there was like a three-minute break between rounds. Everyone was like, why is the round not starting? And he's like just Bob's in the corner sucking wind and <laughs> – <laughs> just, just, it was like, so like, bad what
1: a k1 thing to do right
2: <laughs> oh dude it was hilarious like everyone knew like he was absolutely just gassed out of his mind and Kimo was winning there's just like hold on now we can give him like three extra minutes here to rest <laughs> it was so bad but he I won yeah, bob sap won yeah it was back in the day when bob Sapp was a thing so uh yeah find yeah. your yeah. find your niche man find your niche all right we're going to get out of here, obviously, uh, next week. Uh, this weekend, of course, we got to fight with Chris Gutierrez and uh, Song Dong And, of course, uh, my buddy Anthony Smith taking on Khalil Roundtree. That's a really fun fight this weekend. And then rolling into next weekend, of course, UFC 296. We're going to have a big breakdown show on that next week. That's going to be the focus of our show next week. Talk about Leon Edwards, Colby Covington, uh, Brandon Royval, and Alexandre Pantoja. Ian Gary and uh, Vicente Luque, Shavkat versus Wonder Boy, Tony Ferguson and Patty Pimblet. We got lots to talk about with that next week, so stay tuned for that. Matt, where can people check out and uh, support you? What you're doing?
1: Uh, I am the Immortal Twitter, Instagram at the Immortal Coffee, and check all my links in the bio for the best creatine gummies for Redwood Saunas. You gotta get yourself a sauna, Damon. You gotta come over and do it with me sometime, bro. Let's I know. Go. I need I need to do um, it. Right
2: now now's a good time to do it. It's getting cold out, get step into that hot sauna, step out into the cold air afterwards. It's like Sweden, it's, man.
1: It's beautiful. I think uh <laughs> Tuesday I'll have my cold plunge. So we'll throw you in there. And yeah, that's that's me right there
2: There you go. All right, folks. We appreciate everyone that tunes in each and every week, obviously on the show. Make sure you check us on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. We'll see you next week with another edition of The Fighter versus the Rider. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then.